Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So it's uh, it's Earth Day today. How many people were it was in their consciousness that it's Earth Day? It's such a Berkeley crowd. Yeah, how nice. Aren't we conscious now? <laughs> How many people did something about it? <laughs> A few, that's good. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, um, I, I have a few things that I uh, might say. And, uh, hello, you rank? Um, and uh, I was looking actually uh, through a book that um, I got quite a while ago. This is a book called Dharma Gaya. Uh, it was it's an anthology of essays on Buddhism and ecology, um, and it came out twenty years ago to celebrate the twentieth anniversary of Earth Day. It's really quite quite good. Um, And so I thought it was kind of interesting. Here we are on the 40th anniversary, and a lot of the things, everything that they say is still holding. You know, they don't talk about the internet too much or about uh, a whole, lots of different ways that we are um, in great, greater peril, but... um, they were talking about it 20 years ago, saying, wow, we better get our act together. Uh, in fact, I'll just, I'll, I'm going to read a few things from it, but I wanted to read the foreword from the Dalai Lama uh, to kind of set the tone. The earth, our mother, is telling us to behave. All around, signs of nature's limitation abound. The environmental crisis currently underway involves all of humanity making national boundaries of secondary importance. If we develop good and considerate qualities within our own minds, our activities will naturally cease to threaten the continued survival of life on Earth. By protecting the natural environment and working to forever halt the degradation of our planet, we will also show respect for Earth's human descendants, our future generations, as well as for the natural right to life of all of Earth's living beings. If we care for nature, it can be rich, bountiful, and inexhaustibly sustainable. It is important that we forgive the destruction of the past and recognize that it was produced by ignorance. And at the same time, we should re-examine from an ethical perspective, what kind of world we have inherited, what we are responsible for, and what we will pass on to coming generations. Mm. Rather than uh, getting into the the things I wanted to uh, talk about, I I think it occurred to me in the sitting, I wanted to start a little bit differently. Just uh, first, want to ask, uh, how many people love being in nature? 
Now I want to ask you, to for all of us, including me, to take a few moments and uh, just go inside and ask yourself, why do you love being in nature? There's no right answer to this, but just ask what? There's something, oh, I love to be out in the park. I love to be up by the ocean. I love to be in the mountains. Why? And if you come up with some response, go a bit deeper and ask, why does that move you so? Is there about it? And if you can access that, besides just having it as an idea, as a thought, let yourself feel that experience of loving nature. Don't try hard. Just relax into it and let it, from the most sincere place in you, on a visceral level, feel that connection. And then connecting the word nature to the earth, to everything about it. It's nature. It's our home. And see if you can get in touch with the love you might have for your home. So, yeah, I think I will do this. Just um, turn to uh, one or two people near you, and just for the next few minutes, a couple of minutes, two. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when it's when it's time. Maybe two to four minutes or so, and just share what you came up with. It can be one person or a couple of people near you, just uh, so you get you are heard and you can witness somebody else, okay? If you're willing to do that, is that okay? Um, make sure each of you has a chance, just another minute or so.
start finishing up. Thank your partner. Oh, that's a lot of energy. Is that okay? Mm. Well, I want to hear what uh, what you came up with. Just why? And it's a it's a question that we don't usually ask ourselves. We just know. Well, this is how I feel. But to go deeper and get a sense why, let's let's hear. Pass behind you. I'm Isabella. Um, I was saying that when I'm in nature, I just feel like um, a part of it, and I feel sort of the force of it, and that, I, that I'm just growing out of the force of it, and and it's just a wonderful feeling instead of... And so I feel like I am home, and that I belong. Mm-hmm. It's a very... It's just so amazing that how I feel like, wow, yes. I belong here, and it's um, and when I'm with other people in nature, I also see that in them also. Mm-hmm. Oh, they belong here as well. Mm-hmm. They are just a force of nature arising, and this is that expression. Right. You know? You're a part of it, and you belong, and you're home. Right. Thank you. Others, other comments. I just had the pleasure of um, visiting Yosemite. Mm. Just recently, so I spent four days down there in a little pup tent about that high. Mm. And the last day, I had four and a half inches of snow on the roof. (laughs) I said it it was like a spring day the first couple of days, and then it turned to rain (laughs) and snow. And I just loved it. Even when I was miserable, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I just loved it. I mean, I feel so wild and much more an animal. You know, I, I feel like I'm untamed and uncontaminated when I'm around trees and waterfalls and sky mm-hmm. and huge clouds that I hear that I never see for some reason. Mm. Wild, <laughs> I feel untamed. so lucky. Yeah. Mm. Gratitude, you know, joyful. Mm-hmm. It's like medicine. I get a little drop of sanity. A little drop of sanity. Like here. This is nature. I feel here. You know, it's a lot like this. Mm-hmm. But awesome. Mm-hmm. This weekend, I'm going up to the Redwoods up in Humboldt County. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I rearrange all my work to land on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and my plan is to go away into nature on the other days mm-hmm. before, you know, I drop dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or Could be any minute. Yeah, that's right. You might as well try it. When you say, like here, this is nature... One, one word, uh, one translation of the word dharma is nature. Yeah. We're nature. Our yeah. bodies are nature. Just yeah. we forget. We're all dressed up and acting pretty and whatever. Thank you. Yeah. But we are mingling with other animals and creatures, you know, okay. right here. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Any? Yeah, over there. I also was lucky to be able to go out. Go close. I have a wonderful experience last weekend up on Mount Tam. Just tilt it a little bit. That's okay. it. Okay. There you I go. I had a great, great experience on Mount Tam last weekend, and it made me realize what it is I love so much. And I, I think it's the feeling extr- really expansive, just getting as big as nature and feeling like um, 
there really isn't a limit, and I'm connected. Mm-hmm. And I, there's no shrink, no protection. It's just beautifully mm-hmm. spacious. And spacious, I feel it. expansive. And you know, as I, as I uh, talk a lot about wholesome states, all the wholesome states of mind, states that lead to happiness, are expansive. Expansive in the mind, expansive in the heart. The contracted, the unwholesome states are contracting. When we're stressed, we're contracted, we're dense, we're tight, we're uptight. And so we have all that space, we open up and we feel good. Any different comments that, uh, other than ones that have been mentioned? I mean, Uh, the words that uh, came out of Sally's mouth right here, but was a part of our group, was um, wonder and awe. And um, in a very peaceful um, feeling and existence there. And uh, it's full of magic and surprises. Mm, beautiful. Um, and I feel so a part of it, and it slows, and it slows me down. Mm-hmm. Slows you down. Wonder and awe. That's, those are good ones. Any any others? Okay, what's that? Beauty. Uh-huh. Good. Okay, that's that's. So, you know, whatever I I would want to say is really um, just as a a way to point us to our love of this planet. That's what Earth Day is about for me, just remembering, because if you come from a place of loving the planet, loving nature, it's not a chore to be conscious, you know, or to bring in your batteries, or to do whatever you do. It's coming from a place of, of, of an energized connection. Uh, it's the thing I... I've mentioned it before. I love the um, uh, the Al Gore movie, An Inconvenient Truth, uh, because as dire as the situation is that's presented there, what he and the directors did was just get the viewer in touch with how much they love the planet, how much they love life. It's like... I could just hear it in his voice saying, don't you just love this earth? And in that invitation, that's the best source of doing something to uh, care for it and protect it. Mm, I'll mention a few things from um, Dharmagaya and from the Buddhist uh, perspective. The Buddha, of course, as you probably know, um, was very connected to nature. I, I was going to say loved nature. I don't know if the Buddha loved nature in the way we think he'd say, I just love nature. But he saw that he was nature. And of course, you know, in the, in the um, mudra of him touching the earth, there 
what other archetype do you need than him saying, the earth has been my witness for all the work I've done. It's that connection, that's enough to validate his, um, his liberation. Just touching the earth, the earth witnessing me doing this work. And he would, as he sat at the, at the, under the tree, under the Bodhi tree, he loved trees, and there's a, a line, you know, one, one goes to the, the tree, trees, one finds a tree and sits at the root of the tree with legs crossed and going inward. And the tree is the protection, both the protection and also uh, the connection to life. And in, there's a number of stories in, uh, in, in the Buddhist teachings about the fact of the trees having spirits, that the trees are alive on many, many levels. The, the metta practice, you know, perhaps some of you know that the metta practice at first, uh, the loving-kindness practice was given. These monks went out into the forest and they were meditating uh, the Buddha told them to go to the forest and meditate, and the tree spirits didn't like humans coming around. And so they tried to scare the spirits in the trees, tried to scare these, uh, these monks who went running back to the Buddha saying, it's too dangerous in there, out there, it's scary. And the Buddha said, I'll give you the greatest protection against danger. And that's when he supposedly gave a loving-kindness practice. And then they went back with that loving-kindness practice and you know, were saying, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. And their, their field was very different, and the trees became their protectors. The tree spirits became their protectors. Here's a is a, a story of a monk who cut down a main branch of a tree, and the spirit who resided in that tree came forward and complained to the Buddha. You can take this on whatever level, metaphor or uh, literal that you like, complained to the Buddha that a monk had cut off his child's arm, and from then on, monks were forbidden to cut down trees. That's in, uh, I think that's in the Sutta Napata. No, a, a, a different, not the Suttanapata. And here's another story uh, from the Anguttara Nikaya. Long ago, Brahmandamika Raja Karanya had a steadfast king banyan tree, and the shade of its widespread branches was cool and lovely. Its shelter broadened, its shelter broadened to 12 leagues. None guarded its fruit, and none hurt another for its fruit. Now then came a man who ate his fill of fruit, broke a branch, and went his way. Thought the spirit dwelling in that tree, how amazing, how astonishing it is that a man should be so evil, or ignorant we could say, as to break a branch off the tree after eating his fill. Suppose the tree were to bear no more fruit, and the tree bore no, no more fruit. So, and in, in a way, that's what we're doing all the time, taking from the earth and, and just not really 
caring for it, how, how uncaring, how unsen- insensitive, whatever the spirits are that, that are on the receiving end of our consciousness. Um, and then the, bu- the Buddha also um, uh, said that we should, that monks should, uh, monks and nuns should uh, communicate wishes for peace and happiness to animals, to all beings, and that uh, he thought it was only possible when they were not harboring harmful thoughts towards those animals or eating them for flesh. That's part of the part of the um, part of the teachings. Now, the Buddha also, you should know, uh, said to receive food if it has meat in it. If it's not killed for a monastic, then you just take what's, what's given. But to not harbor thoughts of, I want this flesh, and then think that your wishes for peace and, uh, and happiness won't be tainted by that. Um, so, throughout the, uh, the Buddhist teachings, there's this feeling of an aliveness of nature on a number of different levels. And in modern times, we are coming around to this idea the, that in the original Earth Day, was, it was really the, the essence of it the Gaia hypothesis that this fellow James Lovelock uh, coined. Um, when he looked at the Earth, he was a, a, a scientist who looked at the atmosphere, and he, note, he was noting all of these um, ways that the atmosphere would self-regulate according to different conditions. And that was very much like a living organism, a human organism or another or an animal organism that self-regulates to, to stay in some kind of stasis, some kind of healthy stasis. And he, he didn't call it uh, how the, the scientific self-regulation of, of the Earth's atmosphere. Actually, he... His friend was William Golding, the, um, the novelist, and he said, don't call it a scientific hypothesis like that. Call it the Gaia hypothesis. And the Gaia hypothesis is this, feel, is this sense that the Earth is a living organism, which makes complete sense, doesn't it? Just like if you look in your body, there's cells. Each cell is its own entity. And it's just on a grander scale that the Earth knows how to regulate itself. And the essence of that gave birth to the deep ecology movement, which was not just about recycling or uh, protecting the environment, but seeing that all of life is interconnected through this self-regulatory process. And this is very much like the Buddha's teaching on um, 
dependent origination, or as it's sometimes called, dependent co-arising, that everything affects everything else. That's how it works. And nature affects us, just as we affect nature. We are moved by it. We're inspired by it. We feel whole and alive. Um, This is not an experience um, that's uncommon on retreats, where when we slow down, if you've ever done a retreat at Spirit Rock, and you slow down and you're not bombarded with stimulation, you start to notice life all around you, and you can be mesmerized by the lizards or actually see something growing. I can remember at at IMS walking in in the back by the annex, and there'd be this profusion of, of, um, I forget what kind of flowers there were, but just lining the the whole path. And I remember sometimes taking a long time to go through, to, to walk about you know, 15 or 20 feet, right, 30 feet, and just I'd stop and just see, wow, there's life happening there. Oh, not just it's alive, but you can almost, in a, in a retreat space, feel things growing, and you feel that connection with life. Have you ever experienced that? It's just life recognizing itself. Oh, it's life in here recognizing life there, and there's, there's no separation. It's not me and that plant over there. It's just life moving through us. That becomes a, a real doorway to anatta, to the, the teaching on anatta, the selfless nature of reality where the boundaries just dissolve between us and the world around us. Now, the um, teachings of honoring the earth are not just 40 years old. I mean, in the Native Americans... I just wanted to mention and honor their deep wisdom that has seen this for centuries and how um, how sad it, it, it's been that along with um, deeply impacting and ravaging the culture, we have missed the essence of their deep wisdom in their teachings. Same as as the Buddha, same as this feeling of interconnectedness that uh, is spoken about in Buddha Dharma. I wanted to share with you on this day some teachings of uh, Chief um, Seattle, also called, his real name I guess was Chief Silth but he was called Seattle, and that's how it was translated. Mm. This we know. The earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. This we know. All things are connected, like the blood which unites one family. 
All things are connected. Whatever befalls the earth befalls the sons of the earth. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. We are part of the earth and it is part of us. The perfume flowers are our sisters. The deer, the horse, the great eagle, though these are our brothers. The rocky crests, the juices of the meadows, the body heat of the pony and man all belong to the same family. The shining water that moves in the streams and rivers is not just water, but the blood of our ancestors. The water's murmur is the voice of my father. The rivers are our brothers. They quench our thirst. The rivers carry our canoes and feed our children. So here we are at this juncture in our time here on the earth. This point in our human history where just in the last 50 years or so, or 70 years, we see the possibility that we could affect a shift in the earth that could be the end. That's a huge shift in consciousness. And actually, I want to read, uh, if I can find, this is from Joanna Macy. She says, about this new reality, um, the move to a wider ecological sense of self. She's talking about how our sense of self can expand through connection with nature and the earth, is in large part a function of the dangers that, we're th- that are threatening to overwhelm us. Given nuclear proliferation and progressive destruction of the, our biosphere, polls show that people today are aware that the world as they know it may come to an end. I'm convinced that this loss of certainty that there will be a future is the pivotal psychological reality of our time. Nothing is more preoccupying or energy draining than that which we repress. The fact that we're not that it's not talked about, at least then, this was 20 years ago, very much makes it the more pivotal because nothing is more preoccupying or energy draining than that which we repress. Why do I claim that this new perspective erodes the old sense of self? Because once we stop denying the crises of our time and let ourselves experience the depth of our own responses to the pain of our world, whether it's burning of the Amazon rainforest or the famines in Africa or the homeless in our cities, 
once we let ourselves feel it, the grief or anger or fear we experience cannot be reduced to concerns for our own individual skin. It can never be the same. It compels us to widen our perspective when we say, holy cow, this could be the end. Then you move out of, there's an opportunity here to move out of your limited sense of what matters to feeling the fact that we're all in this together. You know, it's like uh, once, they, once they started having, once the astronauts took pictures of the Earth and we saw it from afar, and we say, oh, wow, that's our home. Like uh, what Buckminster Fuller said, we're all passengers on spaceship Earth. Once you have that shift of all being in it together and that we've got to do something uh, coming from love, then there's a real opportunity to move out of this limited sense of self. So this is an interesting point in time where we're at a juncture, as, as, as my friend Roger Walsh says, where it, we're at a race between fear and consciousness. And he and I am of the uh, belief that consciousness uh, can shift anything, can, uh, if there's time, who knows if there's time, but that between fear and consciousness, consciousness eventually wins out, if there's time. So what to do but just feel how much you love the planet. And if you get into feeling of a despair, thinking, oh no, it's too far gone, just think how things have changed from 40 years ago, 20 years ago, now climate change is probably as in headline consciousness as anything. And it's not a fringe kind of thing that's just in Berkeley, California. Now they have to decide, okay, is there a conspiracy? People are thinking, or the, 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 those who have vested interest in things continuing in status quo have to kind of conjure up conspiracies, which are now actually in the last couple of days uh, uh, debunked, that, oh, climate change is, is, just, a, is just a hoax because the, the tide has completely shifted in accepting this is a reality. We're all in this together. I'll just uh, close the comment, uh, close my comments <clears throat> with uh, this, these words of John Seed, who is an, uh, a very inspiring, uh, profound, uh, deep ecologist who works a lot with Joanna Macy. He says... Um, In the end, it might seem that nothing but a miracle would be any use at this time. When you look at the rate of destruction, whether it's of the rainforest or the ozone layer, the climate, all of these things that are happening, and if you multiply all the efforts of conservationists by a factor of 10 or even 100, 
it still might not be enough. So there's nothing on the horizon that can help us, you might be thinking. But then you think, well, what kind of a miracle would be needed to turn things around? Well, it would be a very simple one, really. All that would be needed would be for human beings to wake up one day different than they were the day before and realizing that this is the end unless we make these changes and then deciding to make the change. That doesn't seem like a very likely thing to happen. This was over 20 years ago when he came out with the statement, 25 years ago. But on the other hand, the whole road that we've traveled is so littered with miracles that it's only our strange kind of modern psyche that refuses to see it. I mean the miracle of being descended from a fish that chose to leave the water and walk on the land. Well, anyone with a pedigree like that, you can't lose hope. (laughs) So all that's needed is for people to wake up one day different from the day before and realize how much they love the planet, how much they love life, how much they love nature, how it's just nature loving itself through us. And things change. So that's all I have to say. If we have some time, if there's any comments, questions, anything. Not that I have answers, but Is that Louise back there? Hi, Louise. Well, I was thinking about why the earth is in such distress, and I was thinking that in Buddhist terms, it's also about greed, because whenever we don't sign the Kyoto Protocol or something like that, it's because business interests um, say that it won't cost jobs or whatever they say. So from a Buddhist perspective, what would be the antidote to the greed that's contributing to the Earth's distress? What, what, what would you say? Generosity. Mm-hmm. I, I guess generosity and loving kindness. Um, Yeah. And gratitude, mm-hmm. which is fostered by what you were, you know, just having us do, stopping and contemplating. Um, I don't know, I feel like maybe something organized needs to be marshaled to, you know, kind of tip the thinking on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, and, and I'd say it is being organized more and more. Uh, along with generosity and 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 gratitude um, is uh, clarity understanding and the more we are the more information we have 
to know the score, then we're not just acting from ignorance. And that's definitely been growing by leaps and bounds over the last decades. So information shifts. I mean, when you see, oh my goodness, like John Seed was saying, oh, this could be the end, you know, who would want to destroy their very home? And so it's just kind of connecting the dots and having more information out of that place of love, out of that place of loving life. And uh, there's, I think we're in that process right now. I was thinking about an earth, an earth bill of rights. I was thinking just now that if corporations are thought of as an individual or an entity that has rights, then maybe there, there needs to be, maybe there already is, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was just, actually, I was just re, uh, hearing or reading today a, a, a declaration of rights for the earth. Um, yeah, those things kind of catch on. It's, there, there's a kind of critical mass that, what was it? Uh, there's a study in Stanford uh, that Stanford University did that said what's needed for a paradigm shift is not that you convince the whole population to change their thinking, but they found that 7% is the key number. If 7% of a population shifts their thinking on any one topic. Everybody else, there's a kind of flow and, and, and shift in mass. Oh, this is the new paradigm. This is the new trend. This is the new way we think about things. So it's not that you've got to convince everybody. It's just yourself and the people that you're around and that there's that mass than just convincing or giving the facts to those who are able to hear them, and that starts to influence the whole society. Is it Jen? Yeah, why don't you pass that mic? Here, pass uh, over here. Maybe last comment and then we'll, we'll go. Um, I'm just thinking of a model in behavior change. Um, and health behavior change that you have to, if you want to reach out to a population to get them to change a, a unhealthy behavior, you can't come in and tell them this is why you need to change. And that's where the loving kindness and the generosity would come in is that you have to find out what they feel is important to them and then you need to investigate with them how these behavior changes actually are in their best interest. And so I think that's where um, we have to be careful about how we reach out and not be hitting people over the head and saying, you are supposed to do this and you, you should do this. You, you need to take the generosity and the loving kindness um, and extend it to the people that you're trying to help change their behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's, that's the point of what why I um, am so moved by Al Gore's saying, don't you love, see how much you love. Because when you have that emotional connection, then you're you're not just acting from cerebral 
rational logic, that connection makes all the difference. Okay, last last comment. We'll, we'll go. Um, well, thank you very much for allowing me to say this. From within the belly of the beast, we need to hear, and all we have to do is move away, make a shift from quarterly profits. It's to the best interest of the fishing industry for them to have fish to fish in 20 years, and they're not acting that way. Yeah. Moving away from the bottom line paradigm to the loving the earth paradigm. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, include the earth in our loving kindness. Just um, feeling, once again, your own nature that loves nature, that loves to feel alive. What an amazing gift that you love life. And that it, it expresses itself through you in the unique way that it does. And that you have a heart that cares and a mind that can understand all gifts of life. Just to celebrate that with gratitude and grace. And then just like the Buddha touched the earth Feel your connection to this amazing home that we have that naturally takes care of itself and self-regulates and gives us all our food and air and water and beauty. that is a perfectly self-contained system how amazing may we care for and love the earth may we care for and love all the living beings in this planet. May we wake up to what is needed to wisely take care of this earth. May all beings find peace and healing and liberation within this 
may our coming here together be of benefit to everyone in our lives, including ourselves, all beings everywhere, and this amazing planet that we live on. See you next week. I'm going to be here for uh, for a while, at least the next month or so. <clears throat> I'm back. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.